0: Praise the Lord. And I made myself a slide show like you all get to see up there. And there's a reason for that because in 2007, my notes were spaced really wide and there were three pages. Because I was expected to give a message in 15 minutes or less. And that meant I didn't get to read the scriptures. And so I literally printed them the same notes. These are the same notes that I used then, right off the computer. And, uh, and then I put all of the Scriptures into the PowerPoint, and so I made myself a PowerPoint so I don't have to hunt through the Bible. Christ's family, a place to belong. Amen. I've entitled the sermon, Whithersoever Thou Goest. You know... Commitment has three characteristics that I could clearly identify. Uncertainty, laying aside our cares, the cares of this life, and setting our minds on the things above, and no turning back. Okay? Those were the three things that I came up with. It means unconditional, absolute, unconditional commitment. That's what this message was about. You see, in 2005, I started to preach at another church, and by 2007, it was clear that I wasn't going to be there the rest of my life. And that was okay with me. Uh, I didn't, it didn't matter to me where God wanted me to be, because by then, I was already absolutely committed to being wherever He wanted me to be. And whenever it came clear that I wasn't going to be there anymore, I brought this message. It was the last message that I delivered there. And when the young man that was serving here at the time as a uh, a uh, co-interim pastor, there were two guys serving, the one asked me if I would come here to preach. And I said, wow, I don't even know where that's at. I had no idea where Chakora was. I never heard of Chakora. And so not that that was anything wrong with that. I just didn't even know how to get here. And back then I didn't have GPS and my phone was... Uh, just to look. No, I didn't even have a phone. That's right. I didn't even have a phone in 2007. I ended up getting one late in 2007, I think, after we were here, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, if I had a phone, it didn't have GPS. I would not be able to find this place. He said, oh, I'll meet you at the golf station on 422. And I said, okay. So I came out uh, in July, Uh, one of the weeks in July, late in July. And I met him at the golf station, and he brought me in through Fennelton-Shakora Road, and it was this windy and all this, you know. And our old car had poor springs and shocks on it, and like going around those bends and hitting those bumps and all of that, I didn't think the car was going to make it, (laughs) honestly. And I'm thinking, wow, where are we going here, you know. And he's driving 45 miles an hour. I want to do 35, okay. Not because I was an old man or anything. It's just that's what felt safe. Anyway... We get here, and I sat in the pew, and I listened to somebody speak, and he introduced me to some of the key people because he wanted them to know who I was, put a face to the name whenever I came here. And so that week, I just sat and listened and watched and whatever. And uh, coming into this building from a brand-new facility, big, brand-new, lots of fancy lights and stage and, you know, all this stuff that we didn't have here... And I thought, wow, this is a change. You know, this is like, okay, God, what are we doing? You know, and it was okay. It was just different. And so I delivered that message there. And he said, well, what's your message? He asked me. I don't know if it was before or after I came to visit. I said, said, well, it's on absolute commitment. He says, oh, they're not ready for that. And I said, well, then they're not ready for me because I am absolutely committed to doing whatever it is that God wants me to do. And the people need to comprehend that, that I'm sold out for God. I'm going to do what He wants, no matter what they want, because to them, this was their church. I love the people that are still existing, uh, are still alive. You know, some of them uh, died. Whenever that started happening after I was brought into the pulpit, I said, Lord, is that why I'm here, to just bury people? That's what I thought. I thought, okay, we got 30, 35 people, whatever it was. And, you know, after about the third or fourth one, I thought, you know what? That's what I'm here for. This is just a burial ministry. I'm just going to bury people, and then God's going to move me somewhere else. That's what I thought. I mean, uh, uh, whether it sounds crude or coarse or whatever, that is what I thought. And God said, no, that's not what you're here. You're going to do that, but that's not why you're here. And I said, well, I'm sold out to you. I'd gotten down on my face, and I cried out to God, and I said, wherever you want me to be, that's where I'm going to be. I'm done running. I had run from God for 20-plus years. <clears throat> I did not want to do what He wanted me to do. But when I came to realize that the uncertainty of absolute, unconditional commitment meant I had to follow him, it clicked. I mean, it just clicked. And I knew, okay, it doesn't matter if I know where I'm going. It doesn't matter if I know anything. I can be completely, totally out of control, and he's in control. You see, I don't like to be out of control. I like to be in control. If I'm in a car, I like to be behind the wheel, for example okay? I don't like being the passenger. been in too many car wrecks when somebody else was the passenger, and I didn't like that feeling. And so my life was the same way. I had to be in control. I had to have the wheel. And when I got to that place of absolute, unconditional commitment to God, I cried out literally, physically, down on my face, and I said, here's the wheel. You take it. You drive. I'm done, I do not want to wreck anymore. I just want to go where you want me to go. And a little while later, I took the wheel back, and I started driving. I wrecked again, and then I did the same thing. Down on my face, on the floor, gave the wheel to God, and I said, Lock me in the trunk so I can't take the wheel. I don't want to drive anymore because my flesh would rise up and say, Wow, no, I, I got this, guy.'" And eventually I got to that place where this message came from was that absolute unconditional commitment to follow Him whithersoever He would lead. And so, in uh, starting out, we'd go to Luke chapter 9, and uh, we'll go with verse 57 to 62. And I don't have a page number, I'm sorry, because back then we didn't have these Bibles, and I wanted to stick true to the notes here and just let the Lord speak through me. Luke chapter 9, beginning of verse 57, is where it is written And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said, I'm homeless. You want to follow me? I'm homeless. Do you want to follow me? I'm homeless. This is what he was saying to the man. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, the other one said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, at the time, I was using only the King James Version of the Bible. And so these are the King James Version of the Bible. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. That sounds pretty cold, doesn't it? But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another he said, "Don't let anything get in your way." All right, and then another also said, "Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at my at home at my house." And Jesus said unto him, "No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Nobody. Remember that man. It's men or women. Men or women." No one putting their hand to the work that needs to be done and looking back and saying, well, wait, I've got to take care of this. You know, I left this unfinished. I've got to go over there and take care of that. He said, no, you're not worthy. And this hit me, it hit me, and it hit me because I had a lot of unfinished things in my life, okay? I still do because I walked away from them. And people looked at me and said, you're really irresponsible. Do you know that? You're leaving all that to... What's going to happen? You know, all the questions that people have. The work is still not finished. Christ questions our absolute, unconditional commitment, our absolute loyalty to Him. Will you lay down your life for His sake? That's in John chapter 13 and verse 37 and 38, I believe, after Peter asked the Lord, Why can't I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Seriously? He's saying, seriously, you will? You're going to lay down your life for me? Wait a minute, Peter. Uh, Then he predicted Peter's denial of him before the rooster would cry. And I got to looking at that word, whithersoever. What does whithersoever mean? What does that mean, that word? It's an old English word, whithersoever. Why don't they just say wherever? There's more to it. It's not just wherever. It includes whenever. It includes however. It includes without knowing why, even. One of the questions that I always have is Why? Why do this, or why do that, or why go here, or why go there, or why, 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 why? What are the five questions? Who, what, where, when, and why? I always have those questions. But whithersoever means you don't ask those questions. It's no questions asked. God says, go, you go. He says, stop, you stop. That's the nature of whithersoever. It's without doubt Because there is uncertainty, but you go without doubt. You walk in uncertainty without doubt, no indecision, no hesitation, complete confidence in God, not self. See, I was very self-reliant. I liked having confidence in myself. I liked knowing that I could take care of things. I liked knowing that I could get things done. But he said, no, we're going to erase that part oh, I still have those characteristics, but I have to stand against them. Because he said there's no permanent place to lay his head. When we came here, <clears throat> we had left our home, and we were in somebody else's house. And we were hired as a hired Pastor. And the Bible calls that being a hireling. I don't want to be a hireling, but it's where God sent me. And I said, okay, well, I'll do what you want, Lord. I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I will do whatever you want me to do, and I will say whatever you want me to say. I will minister to whomever you want me to minister to. But he didn't have a permanent place to lay his head, and neither did we. In fact, there was a guy who told me, don't change anything. The last pastor tried to change this, and he tried to change that, and he tried to change this, and he tried to change that, and he named all these different things that have since changed. And he said, we changed his address. Then he laughed. This was the same guy that called my daughter a clown after she sang up here, sang her heart out. Now, Whithersoever means you don't run when that stuff happens. You don't leave because somebody said something wrong. You don't take off because somebody did something wrong. You know what I want to do when somebody wants to hurt one of my children? How many of you parents out there can can understand what I'm saying? If somebody hurts your children or your grandchildren, you don't want your children and your grandchildren to be hurt. So you either remove them from that situation or you do something about it. This was the same guy that harassed my wife, stalked her years later. Whithersoever thou goest, Lord, I said it and I meant it, and I'm still here because I meant what I said. That's God's will. It's God's will. This type of following requires absolute surrender of self. You give up yourself and you fully trust in Almighty God. And that is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I've done a lot of hard things, I have done a lot of hard things. But you trust fully in Him. And it's not a willful abandon of responsibility but it requires absolute faith, absolute faith in knowing that God has you right where He wants you to be. And I struggle with that to this day. And my wife will say, you know, God has you right where He wants you. And I'm like, oh, I know, but that's not where I want to be. I don't mean not here. I mean in circumstances, you know, traffic, for example, traffic. I don't like traffic. The second point that I had was laying aside the cares of this life and setting your mind on the things above. Laying aside the cares of this life, because that's what he said. Christ said, we're not of this world. In John chapter 5 and verse 19, what happened to Matthew? I thought I had that here somewhere. Yeah, that wasn't that. That was after Luke. Yeah, but I didn't read it. Why? What didn't I? I don't have it here. Oh, wait. We're going to read it. Okay. I know what it is. It was, it was also, this passage was also in Matthew. And a certain scribe came, and that's why I included it this time. I didn't have it in the last time. That's why it's not in my notes, and that's why I skipped it. Okay, thank you. A certain scribe came. So this was a religious leader. This was somebody who would take the Word of God, and they would take it from one and make another one. Okay? They would be the scribe. Okay, they would copy the Word of God. There were no printing presses. There were no printing machines. There were no electronics like we have today. It was all done by hand. And this scribe, who knew the Word, because he had copied every single word of it, probably many times, he came and he said, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That's what he said. That was a scribe. A religious guy. But he wasn't willing to lay down the cares of this life. In John 15, in verse 19, see if I can find that. If I skip, there we go. It is written, the Lord said, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. I've been hated in the pulpit. I've been hated by people who sat in these very seats. I have been hated by other clergy. And there are some people in this congregation who are aware of that. And anybody can call me on it if it's not true. You're going to be hated, he said. How many times when people have someone say a flowery little prayer, do they also add that little caveat to it? You're going to be hated for my name's sake. That's what he said. That's not my words. Those are his words. So you've got to lay aside the cares of this life. You've got to set your mind on things above. In Galatians chapter 1, it is written, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So who am I here to please? God. God first. That's the hardest way to live your life, folks. Because there's this balance between being you and being God's. Because you are you and you are God's. And you belong, I'm saying, to God. You are God's property. You belong to Him. I'm not calling you gods like you're a god. I saw Dylan's growling face. What? What's he talking about? Yeah, we belong to God. And uh, it's written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel... Even so we speak, not as pleasing men which trieth our hearts. We're not here to please people. That's not what any of us are here to do. We are here on this planet to draw souls out of darkness and into the light of Christ. In Ephesians chapter six it's written Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, and you could translate that into uh, look, workers, obey your boss. Okay, that's because bondservants willingly put themselves into service. That's what the bondservant was. And with fear and trembling, insincerity of heart as to Christ. In other words, you're working unto Christ. So when you got to put up with stuff, and in the pulpit, I've had to. I wasn't working for the people. I was working for God. And I said that one time. And the, the fellow that got really upset because he thought he was the king of the church, he didn't like it. I don't work for you. I work for God. I didn't mean it disrespectfully. It was just a fact. It was a factual statement based on Scripture, and I had to clarify it. And I had to explain myself because people didn't know the Scripture. Not with eye service. In other words, you're not just trying to please people. Not as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So you're doing God's will. And this is what God called me to do. His will in this building, all right, lay aside the cares of life, because Christ's servants do not seek to please people. In Luke chapter 14, our Lord tells His followers they must love God more than anyone or anything, father, mother, children, wife, brothers, sisters, even their own life, forsake everything. That's a note that I put in. If anyone comes to me, it's written in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, Christ himself speaking, and does not hate his father and mother wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Hate, that's a strong word. He's saying, don't put them above him. He doesn't want you to hate people in that sense of what we believe or understand hate is. He's saying, don't love them more than him. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Now, at that critical time when I came into this building, after leaving the last nest of hornets and snakes, I realized that that applied to me. I had to bear a cross here, and that was okay. The cross means death to self. You are going to die. And in ministry, that sometimes means everything else falls away. And you're walking simply with Christ, bearing that cross which he has given you to bear. And I heard a preacher one time say, there's one thing you knew about somebody that was carrying a cross out of town. They aren't coming back. It was final. It was done. And when Christ calls us, as He called me, to a ministry, as He called me, it was to die to everything else. It was all behind me. Now, that's, I still struggle with that to this day, because there are things in my life that are unfinished. And there are problems with that that take time sometimes, take energy, take money. Christ instructs a man to sell everything. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he's laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, see, he's talking about when you move into his kingdom realm, and you're working for him, then count the cost. But don't let that stop you from doing what he wants you to do. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? He's got 10,000 and somebody else has got 20. Don't you think about that? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That hit me like the proverbial ton of bricks, because I'm saying, well, Lord, I've, this is unfinished and that's unfinished and this has to, and, that, and, that, and that. I had all these reasons why I couldn't do what he wanted me to do. But he said, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple, that made me weep. Like, okay, I gave you the wheel. You drive. Lock me in the trunk. Now, we go on to Luke chapter 18. We hear a certain ruler ask him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but that one, God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Big problem with that in our society today. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. The young ruler said, I, have to, I do this. I've been doing this since I was a kid. Okay. And what's Jesus say? When he heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. One thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Woo! But when that ruler heard this, he became very sorrowful. Why? Because he was very rich. He knew what Jesus was saying. He was a covetous man. He had acquired a lot of wealth, and maybe some of it dishonestly. And Jesus said, "You got to cut free from all that, because that's holding you back." That's what he told. Does that apply to everybody? I don't believe it does, because you look in Scripture, you see God enriches some people to be a blessing to others. I don't think he's saying sell everything you have. Although the early church did, they sold everything they had, put it all together, and then they all lived out of it. And when Jesus saw they became very sorrowful, he said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, this guy wasn't going to give it up. He wasn't going to quit. He wasn't going to follow whithersoever Christ led. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said... Who then can be saved? But our Lord said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Can we give him a praise? Can we give God a praise? It's impossible for us. It is impossible for us. We can't make our way into his kingdom, but he has made the way with Christ. We simply need to follow him whithersoever he goes. And there's no turning back. One John, oh, excuse me, we didn't finish reading there. Peter said, see, we've left all and followed you. Well, Peter left his nets and the boats and everything. They walked away. Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. And they said, okay, dropped everything, took off, followed him, And then after the Lord was dead and buried, went back to the boats. Well, I guess that runs over. What are we going to do next? Well, go back to the boats. We know how to fish. Let's go fish. And so our Lord said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one. How many? No No one who has left his house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life. He promises whatever you leave, you'll get back. And he's not telling you to abandon your family. I've heard guys tell me, well, you know, the Lord says, abandon your family. I said, he doesn't tell you to abandon your wife and children. you got to pay for your children. you got to take care of your children, okay? I had a guy in ministry who walked away from his family. Some people in this building know who that is. He still ministers. I don't know whatever became of his children. He says, you walk away from those things because, and here's the part that's implied, is because in that region, whenever people followed him, they were persecuted for following him, even by their family, as it is now. There are many places in the world when somebody comes to Christ, they are not received. In fact, they're rejected by their family. I no longer have a daughter. I no longer have a son. And he says, whoever leaves their family in that context, that's the context he's talking about. He's not saying to abandon your family. And the promise is, not just will you get back the, the things that you need to take care of yourself, but you'll also have eternal life. And then we go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Loving the world is a clear sign... And we don't love God. We can't be in one world and be in the other. We can't be in one kingdom and in the other. We can't have one master and have another. He said so. And too often there are people, even in the church, in the body of Christ, who have their feet in the world and their feet in the kingdom, and they think somehow that's okay. He says it isn't, because that's not following Him whithersoever he leads. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. John tells readers not to love the world or the things of the world. In Colossians chapter 3, it's written, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Think heavenly things. Because that is the point of laying aside the cares of this life. And you don't turn back. You don't look back. You let it go. All bridges to your former life are closed or removed. When my wife and I came here, she thought I had lost my mind. She really did. She thought that I lost my mind. She just thought, that this is it. He's snapped, and we're in trouble. She really did. And so did her family, of course, because how are we going to live on this? You know, what we weren't getting anymore. There was no turning back, because I was going to follow him wherever he led me. And had she left me at that time, I'd still be here. I would have stayed, because this is where he wanted me to be. I was absolutely certain. There was no doubt in my mind. This is where he wanted me to be. No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Think of Lot's wife. Let me just take one last look. Immortalized in salt, right? What does salt do whenever rain hits it? It dissolves. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, We know that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is filled with those who are the just, who live by faith. But if any man draw back, the Lord said, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, no turning back. No man can serve two masters, it's written in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. And there are some organizations in the world that have masters in their organizations. And I ask them, if they're a believer, I say, how do you have two masters? The Lord says you can't have two masters. How do you do that? Well, I don't know how they can do it, because it's written in Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. It's two places. That's the testimony of two witnesses. And James tells us, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, and whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The friends of the world are the enemies of God. Thus saith the Lord. Not me. And when I delivered this message in 2007, I then did it again, I think, ten years later, and then since then I've done it a couple of times. People don't like to hear it. You can't be a friend of the world and be a friend of God. His Word says that is not possible. He says that, not me. And you don't turn back. You don't go back into the world. Double-minded people are called adulterers and adulteresses. This is what James writes, and he was the Lord's brother. In Isaiah chapter 26, in verse 4, it's written, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. How much strength? Everlasting strength. Everlasting The root words translated with or soever indicate a certain absolute or definite commitment to follow along on a journey without foreknowledge of the way, without a definite plan, and no map. And these days would say no GPS. I thought about bringing in a map as a prop and opening it up because some of you are old enough to remember maps whenever you had to fold them out. You'd stop on the side of the road and say, okay, where are we going? Get out the marker, okay, and you'd mark the mo- you'd, and you'd follow. Okay, yeah, it looks like we're here. No, you missed the turn. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're over here. We need to be over there. Yeah, you know, that's what we did way back when, 10 years ago. Well, oh, <laughs> it's a little longer than that. <clears throat> but anyway, you follow along on a journey without foreknowledge of the way, without a definite plan and no map, but the ultimate destination is known. Where are we headed? God's kingdom. See, we know the destination. And that's the point. Nothing on the journey in this life, nothing on this journey in this life really matters if we trust in the promises of our Savior. By faith, trusting Him, we are given peace in knowing with certainty that we are safe in Christ and the Spirit of grace keeps us faithful. Faithful. This is where our safety net is. And then I ask, what's my call? What's my call? That's what I ask them, and that's what I ask you. What is my call? Become absolutely, unconditionally committed to Almighty God. Agree to go whithersoever He leads you. Allow for uncertainty with fear. No, without fear. See, we'll get fearful. Fearful and we've got to cut that out. We've got to give that to God. Okay, God, you said, and we can call him on his word, you said, if I follow you whithersoever thou goest, Lord, you will keep me. And right now, I'm not feeling too peaceful, and I need some peace. I need your peace, the peace that passes understanding. And what's he say? Be anxious for nothing, But by everything, through prayer and supplication, make your requests made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will be yours. Amen. So, as we go on, I say, okay, in Isaiah, did I skip that one or do I have it here? Maybe I skipped it. I didn't put it in because I don't have one here. Oh, yes, I do. I read it already. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And then it's written in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Who does he know? Those who trust in him. Who doesn't he know? The ones that don't trust in him. He knows those who trust in him. And 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 tells us what? Anybody. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. How much care do we cast on him? All. So I was full of anxiety. My wife was teetering on, this man's gone crazy, and I've got to save my kids because they're not going to be able to eat. And... I had people that really quickly got to see that I was preaching the Word of God, and they weren't used to that. And one of them told me that. Others said, you're exactly what this church needs. We need a Spirit-filled man. We need somebody who knows the Word of God. They said, but are you willing to go wherever He leads Proverbs 3, 5 is where it's written, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In Psalms one hundred four fourteen it's written, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy Endureth forever. He maketh peace in thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. And in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 25, we hear our Lord's, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? And try telling that to your wife when she thinks you've gone crazy. In Psalm 147, verse 11, we hear this, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, and those that hope in His mercy. He takes pleasure in those who honor Him and trust in His constant love. Led by Him... It's written in Isaiah, let's read that, led by Him that led them. God led them through the deep as an horse in the wilderness that they should not stumble. We're sure-footed as horses. He'll keep us from stumbling. In fact, Satan brought that to the Lord's attention whenever he was tempting Him. <sighs> He's not even let you stumble. You don't have to worry about that. We need to increase our time in his word and prayer. Narrow is the gate. And remember, few will find it. There's no turning back. You go through that gate. It's like a turnstile, or at least it should be. It only goes one way. It's his way. Into his kingdom. One step at a time. One step at a time. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14 is where we read it, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few be there that find it. And that word for narrow is from the Greek word stenos, and it probably comes from the base of another word, and it means that there are obstacles standing close about, and you've got to get through those obstacles to get into that gate. That's what it means, folks. Narrow. Narrow. There's no turning back. It's absolute, unconditional commitment. After all, Proverbs 16.1 tells us the preparations of the heart in man, and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And in Proverbs 16.9, we hear this, A man's heart devises his way, but who directs his steps? The Lord. Proverbs 2024 20, tells us man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? He says, God's going to guide you. God guides us. And I can affirm by God that He has guided me to remain here in the ministry that He has grown out of that small group of people that met in this building and believed it was theirs. It's His work. He guides all of it. You look at the food ministry that he's developed here. I can't even tell you where we're going. Oh, I could, but there's no time. He's shown me some things that are just, I would never have believed, and it's going to benefit everybody that attends services in this building. It's his will being done. In Romans chapter 8, We read, our absolute unconditional commitment is easy when we completely accept what we're about to read, because, he says, all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. So let us become absolutely, unconditionally committed to follow Him whithersoever He goes. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, Lord. Your Word is true. Help us, Father, to follow Christ. Let us, each of us, Lord, pick up our cross and follow whithersoever he leads. I pray this in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, amen.